When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coming up on episode 214 of Wheel Bearings, we take a look at the 2021 Shelby GT500, the Toyota Highlander Hybrid, the BMW iX, a ride in the, Mer- the new Mercedes-Benz SL, update on Tesla charge connector pricing, uh, GM's new Altify platform, production of the Bright Drop EV600, and a big investment <clears throat> from Ford in EV production. All coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 214 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abual Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Roberto Baldwin from Engadget. And we're not quite sure where Nicole is at the moment. Hopefully, she'll be joining us in progress. Uh, but let's begin. Robbie, what have you been driving? So I have been driving some uh, secret cars. Um, I drove these. Well, actually, I drove one and I just sat in another. <laughs> While someone else drove it. But uh, a few weeks ago, I was in, uh, what is that country? Germany, driving the BMW iX electric SUV. This is their sort, you know, this is their fifth generation uh, EV uh, system. And I actually drove two vehicles. I drove the iX and the i4. I can't say anything about the i4 yet, but I can tell you about the iX. I can tell you that as a very, very, very large um, uh, kidney grill. And it doesn't need to have that because it does not have a radiator. It does have air intakes towards the bottom of the vehicle to help cool the battery, but you don't need the giant kidney grill. But uh, you know what? It's it's BMW. It's part of their brand. Um, and I have to just talk about the kidney grill every time you talk about BMW now. Um, fine. It's fine. It's fine. It looks okay. Fine. <laughs> just... <laughs> You, you, you're, just, you're gonna, just walk up to it gonna, from behind all the time. Just don't yeah. walk up to it from the front and you'll be fine. Yeah. Either you're going to absolutely hate it and hate it so much you're not going to want anything to do with this vehicle. Or you're going to accept what it is and be like, fine. Or you're going to be like, you know what? I like it. And so for people, for two and three, for groups two and three, it is a, a splendid SUV. It is a splendid uh 
um, electric SUV. I drove it around Germany. They had us drive it on some back roads. They had us drive it on the Autobahn. They had us drive you know here, there, everywhere, and it did wonderfully. It is about the same size as the X5. It's a little bit shorter height wise, but you know everything else is about the same. So if you're looking at X5 and you're thinking, "Gosh, I wish I could get one of these as an EV," then well, you can, and that's the iX. It is, uh, again, I really, really liked it. I was surprised how much I liked it. I surprised how well BMW's uh, EV system has evolved. Now, I think, you know, we drove the i3. I like the i3 just for, for its quirkiness. It's just, it was just this weird, it's like if someone made a concept car and then instead of changing anything, they just like, Put it into mass production and throw it on the road. That that was the i three. I loved I loved that idea about it. And I know a lot of people are just like, Ugh, I, why? Uh, you know, I think I think once you drive an i three, you know, a lot of things about the form factor that may have turned you off actually fall away because, and I suspect the same is true of the iX. You know, the the i three is actually great to drive. Yeah, it's a it's a fun little machine to drive. Um, I wouldn't like recommend going on like long road trips. It is a small vehicle. You got a short wheelbase. That means every, you know, freeway bump is gonna feel uh, a bit terrifying if you're not used to driving a small car. And uh, I'm just gonna say most Americans are not used to driving small cars anymore because none of our cars, not even the small ones, are actually small. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know the 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 iX. It is it has um, all wheel drive. Dual motor, it has 516 horsepower, 540, I'm sorry, 564 pound-feet of torque, so you're getting a ton of power uh, for your money. And they haven't, they don't have an EPA you know, rating yet, but they're targeting about 300 miles, which should be fine for 99% of y'all if you're looking for an EV. Um, it charges at, uh, what is its charge rate? I'm sorry, I, uh, 195 kilowatts so it'll up to 195 kilowatts at a fast. yeah so if you if you're able to find a charging station uh dc fast charging station that'll support 195 or more uh, electrify america has three have has ones that do 350 um yeah you can just you can charge this thing uh you know as quickly as 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 you want uh well you know, not 350, but you can do it 195 which is pretty quick uh and and it's it's nothing to sneeze at um, it drives uh, well. It doesn't have a lot of body roll. The steering feels – the steering a little bit reminds me of the i8. Um, the i8, the steering felt a little uh, video game-ish. I think if you – you don't have a lot of – you don't have – I think the i8 was much worse in this this uh, regard where you didn't have – you. Know, you it was fun to drive, but it, it feels also, disconnected. But you feel synthetic. disconnected from the road. You don't feel you don't have a lot of feedback. At the um, the iX also has also suffers from that. Not as bad as the i8, but you you do sort of feel a little bit disconnected. I think for most people, that is uh, something they'll probably never notice. People who are just kind of driving it around town. Um, if you're more of a driving enthusiast, you pro- you you definitely will notice that. Um, you know, and that's something that's sort of creeped into a lot lot more of the vehicles on the road, especially with the drive-by-wire systems where, you know, it's, it's electronically controlled as opposed to, you know, a mechanical directly stuck to it. You know, it's, it, it all comes down to just sort of adjusting some uh, some, some algorithms, I suppose, in order to to recreate the the feeling of as you're turning sharper or as you're, you get some sort of feedback from the road. So the iX does have a little bit uh, less feedback than I would like uh, from from a BMW, especially, you know, especially from BMW, which company that, that 
that really wants everyone to think, hey, we're making driver's cars. So as a driver's car, you have that. But stomp on the gas, not the gas, stomp on the accelerator, and uh, it takes off, you know, flying down the <laughs> autobahn. It's used to a, saying that. I, 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 every once in a while, I would say every third article, I have to go back and remove the word gas and put in the word accelerator. Um, yeah, we just got to drive it on the Autobahn doing 190 kilometers. A lot of speed. Uh, so you say 60, about 100 miles an hour. So yeah, just cruise along 100 miles an hour, comfortable, calm, collected. Just it's, it's, it is, it is a vehicle and a lot, I think a lot of EVs kind of have this, this tendency where you are driving faster, you're traveling quicker or faster than you think you are. You're like, oh, I must be doing 60. And you look down, you're doing 80 just because everything's a bit more smoother because you don't have, you know, engine noise. You don't have any vibration. You don't have any of that stuff. So with the IX, you you definitely end up with that sort of, oh, dear, I need to slow down before I get pulled over by the the German police. And they start talking to me in German. I'm like, I don't know. I'm a dumb American. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Overall, no, it's it is a great uh, SUV. Um, the starting price is sorry, let me look at my notes. There we go, uh, eighty three thousand two hundred dollars. Um, it is expected in the U.S. Uh, probably around March of 2020, 2022. They said first quarter, but I heard March um, from uh, someone at BMW. So March, April, um, you could probably pick one up if you're looking for one. If you want a giant. Uh, grill in your front yard um it is yeah i i was you know a lot of sometimes you get into these evs that the traditional automakers are making and you feel like we're like well they're this is this is good this is good this is fine you know they've 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 done this they've done the thing but i think we, with, with the mercedes with the with the new bmw you're getting into them you're like oh my god these are outstanding these are outstanding evs from these uh, luxury brands are really working to make sure that they're sort of transitioning their uh, driving experience from their ICE vehicles, their internal combustion engine vehicles, into an EV experience. And in some cases, it's better. I still think the EQS is better than the S-Class right now. It just, for for the sake of luxury, it, again, it's like we were talking about, no vibration, no noise. It's just like this smooth, amazing feeling as you're driving it. Um, the IX, I think the IX is... Is gonna is better than the X5 just for that because you know when you're getting an SUV you're not buying an M car you're buying an SUV you want to be able to have the nice luxury and the driver's feeling of uh, a BMW and aside yeah aside from that um that the you know well the front grill <laughs> which again <laughs> if two thirds of you you'll be fine with um and the uh, the 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 sort of not a lot of feedback. I I'm a, I'm a big fan. I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised, and I've been pleasantly surprised from a lot of these vehicles coming out. I mean, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, pleasantly surprised. The EQS, I'm you know incredibly surprised, and the same with the uh, IX. Uh, have they did they say anything about any plans for other variants? You know, a lower power variant. Uh, you know, maybe a single motor rear drive version. Um, or can we expect any of that to be coming in over the next year or two? I don't think they're going to have the lower power uh, version in the U.S. There's an M40, um, which uh, we did not drive. Um, and I think the, the uh, I'm sorry, IX40, um, or X-Drive 40, I don't think... 
I think when they look at the the what's going on in the United States and when it comes to what people want, a low a smaller battery is is not gonna it's just not gonna work out here. I think it's the same thing like when Mini had the Mini One when the Mini first came out and they had this very low essentially low power mini like the cheapest mini you could get right. in europe but you, they didn't bring it to the u.s because in the u.s they just like this isn't going to sell because the uh united states wants power the, you know the united states we want power and we want range and if you have you know if, if you have a, a a version of a vehicle especially now where people are still concerned about range if you have a version of a vehicle has less range it's 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 highly unlikely it'll it'll be here as for an m version i don't see why they wouldn't do that i mean i think an m version of 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 everything i mean the the i4 i drove was an m version and that's all i can say <laughs> well you know given that m versions usually have even higher margins it would be very unusual for BMW not to offer an M version of the iX. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, you know, it's. I think it, you know, it's an interesting vehicle. Um, you know, one of the things that they've talked about with the iX <clears throat> is that it'll be their first uh, vehicle that they offer that has five um, G connectivity in it. Did they? Did they talk at all about that? They did a bit. Um, I, I think the. The issue with 5G is that the rollout is still happening, and so you still have this like weird like people. And you can get a 5G phone, you can get a car with 5G. You know, there's all these capabilities that are coming, but the rollout is a little you know lackluster. It just takes a while for and you know like places like companies like AT and T are trying to you know they want to hurry up and kill 3G so they can repurpose mm-hmm. those towers for 5G. So you know those you know you have companies who are sort of like waiting in order to kill their 3g uh system so they can throw 5g and once they throw those up and you know the the network uh increases um yeah i think it's you know it's 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 uh it's an important technology 5g especially when it comes to automobiles especially when we're talking about the amount of data that's going to be shared um from the vehicle to the cloud and and you know and, and back and forth and then we have you know, uh, vehicle to infrastructure and vehicle to vehicle and all that. But there's so much infrastructure has to be built around all of that to make it work. Whereas just having the car with 5G is, is, I mean, it's great because it kind of future proofs it. Well, as much as you could future proof uh, a phone network and, and, you know, everyone who owns a 3G phone right now is like, oh crap. Yeah. Uh, I know. I mean, so, there, yeah. there are times when, when the, the 5G, you know, even though my phone is showing 5G connection on there, I just, can't actually connect to anything and so i'll just go into the the network settings and just say just use lte just use 4g don't even bother yeah. trying to use the 5g and it, all of a sudden everything works you know so yeah, you know, five, yeah 5g is way overrated it is it is and it's you know it's it's one of those things where we're like well eventually well eventually and so we're just sort of waiting for the eventuality when 5g is actually a network that is um reliable and widespread and right now that's not really yet uh-huh. but you know we'll see how how it works uh with our network um this 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 year i mean it's it's these automakers need to sort of look at you know they got to look 10 you know 15 years into the future for their cars as opposed to your phone which they're just waiting, like, I don't know, three years, four years for a phone. That's what, you know, if Apple yeah. and, and Google had their way, we'd, it'd be every year. And, and you know, we've, we've got something we'll talk about later that, you know, touches on, you know, building in 
the hardware that you may or may not actually be using today, but will potentially be used at some point in the future. Um, so um, we'll, we'll get to that a little later on. But in the meantime, um, what other vehicle did you experience? So I got to sit in the new Mercedes SL. And um, if you know, if you are a, uh, if you're not, even if you're not a car fan, a fan, like our car enthusiasts, everyone's number one car that they love is the Gullwing, the Mercedes SL, the Gullwing. Um, so it's, it's sort of the official, yeah, it's sort of the official car that everyone, uh, loves. Um, and so it's, this is the SL Roadster. Um, it's coming soon. They didn't share me, they didn't share any specs. They didn't tell me, you know, it, it, I do know it's all wheel drive. <laughs> um, oh, really? um, the current ones yes. aren't, right? Oh. Yeah, the current ones are not. So it's all wheel drive. Um, and it looks a bit like the current, but I, I I know that they're working to make it lighter. You know, they they one of the things was make it lighter, make it more uh, nimble, lighter and nimble. And from the passenger seat, it's always weird to like sort of talk about a car when you're sitting in the passenger seat because you can sort of experience what's going on, but not directly because your input isn't driving the experience. Your experience is based on someone else doing things <laughs> to try to impress mm-hmm. you. It's like when your friend, you get in the car with your friend, they're like, look, this car will do zero to 60 in this much time. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it was a, it was a fun drive. I think it's, it's going to do well. Um, but I, I yeah, they, there wasn't a lot of information shared. Um, it was interesting to talk to, talk to them though, because, they, you know, that, that, that car was one of uh, 30 uh, vehicles and, you know, 30, like the three or four of a bunch of different uh, uh, models that uh, Mercedes brings over and they drive it all around um, the United States. They, you know, they, they, they drive in up and up north. They drive San Francisco. They drive to the desert. They drive in, you know, I was in Colorado um, in, uh, in Denver and they, they bring these vehicles over in order to uh, test them on the roads and test them in, in these extreme environments, test them in very high altitudes, test them with our fuel, which apparently is not as good as European fuel. Um, and yeah. so they bring the yeah, so they, they, they bring these cars over to test them so they can make sure that the um, everything that, that you know they've researched and everything, everything they worked on, is real. It, it actually passes the tests. And so that was, that was sort of interesting because it t- they talked about, uh, we talked about how, um, every time they learn something, they, they, they send it back to Germany and then Germany's like, Oh, okay. And then they, if they have to make a change, it makes a global change and it gets sent to all the vehicles in that, in, in, you know, that model, all the vehicles of that model that are being tested. And so it goes out and then they drive around and then, you know, oh, we got to make a change. And there's a big computer in the back. And so it's very interesting to, to sort of uh, ride along um, in a vehicle that um, hasn't actually been unveiled yet. It was camouflaged in the front and the back. So you can see the profile and then it had like, you know, but for the most part, it sort of looks like the, you know, the, the, the current SL. Um, and it was uh, it still has that Mercedes uh, feel um, where you have to be able to create a vehicle that. If you're trying to create a performance vehicle for a Mercedes, you still have to make sure that that vehicle feels like has that Mercedes luxury ride. And so, you know, he put in comfort mode and it was very, you know, placid and very, you know, for 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 a vehicle that small. Um, and then, you know, he puts it in sport mode and it feels very, 
very grumbly and ready to, to party. Um, you know, business is front party in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they've got actually, I think on the last generation, they went back to the soft top, right? That, so they, they got rid of the retractable hard top and went back to a soft top. And I think they, they're retaining that for this one. They have a retractable roof. So it'll, I will say though that the retractable roof, because it's a pre-production car, um, once they pulled it down, sometimes they had problems getting it back up. So I was the first, there was, <laughs> yeah. you know, five journalists there. Um, and I was the first, um, and I, my, my, uh, my drive was, uh, I had the roof up on my drive just because we had to go through like some dusty areas and we spent a lot of time stuck in traffic before we hit the mountains. So it was, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. And they didn't, they didn't talk at all about, uh, powertrains in this one. No, they're not, they're not, they haven't shared anything yet. Um, okay. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much. What's under the hood? It's probably a V8. It's probably you know four liter V8. Um, but they, you know, that's a that's just an educated guess. I, I, I would I would guess they'll probably have the four liter twin turbo V8 yeah. and the, the three liter inline six. Yeah, uh, both with the forty eight volt mild hybrid system. Exactly. So. Yeah, that's the you know the 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 usual um, uh, Mercedes uh, setup. Um, yeah, but it, you know it's it's always sort of fun to sort of. To, to, to ride in something that you're not supposed to know about, um, even if you don't get to drive it, which, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, you, you beg and you plead and you're like, come on, come on, yeah. come on. And they're like, no, <laughs> we're not going to let you drive our million dollar car, which by the way, all those pre-production no. cars are very expensive. And so whenever I have a chance, oh, yeah. I, it's occasionally I'll, I'll get a chance to drive a pre-production car. And you're just like, oh, I hope I don't break this. It's like driving a very old car, like something from the museum. Mm-hmm. Like both of those situations, you're like super excited, especially for the older vehicles, but also super anxious because at least with the pre-production cars, they're like, well, we got parts. We can just throw it on here. It's going to be a pain in the ass, but fine. It's with the with the classic stuff. You know, they can sort of rebuild the part in their, in their works, but you don't want them to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they definitely do not want to. So, yeah, no, definitely yeah. not. I mean, from from my you know from my engineering days, you know, over seventeen years, I got used to driving stuff that was not even yet pre production. You know, it was like sometimes very early prototypes or even mules, and so I, I was used to things breaking unexpectedly um, in in very <laughs> weird ways sometimes. Uh, I've been but, in pre production uh, cars that that just shut down on the freeway. Like like well mule oh, I've been in a yeah. mule that you're right ride, yeah. you're riding alongside and it just turns off you're like okay <laughs> just pull over and restart yeah, the car. Well, I, when, um, back in like 2007, um, one of the last things I worked on uh, as an engineer was the uh, <clears throat> brake system for uh, what was supposed to be the two mode hybrid Saturn View. Uh, which was, you know, their, their their compact crossover, and they were putting, they had, they already had a mild hybrid system in there, and they were going to put in a, a a strong hybrid, and there were some issues, and that car never actually made it to production. It got the whole program got canceled when GM went bankrupt and, and everything, but um, uh, that uh, you know, when I was driving around the Milford Proving Grounds doing testing with that and working on calibrating the software and tweaking the software. From time to time, when I would 
I would do a stop, you know, with the brakes, and I would pull over to the side to take a look at some data, you know, before, you know, tweaking something else and moving on. Every once in a while, after I pull over, it just wouldn't start again. It was like completely dead. You know, it'd go out and, you know, pull the big fuse out of the battery and, you know, wait a minute, you know, basically do a hard, try to do a hard reset, plug it back in, uh-huh. um, you know, hope it would start. Nope. So, and so there were a, on a couple of occasions where I actually had to call back to the garage and have somebody come out with a push truck and push me back from the track back to the garage, you know, so they could take a look at it and try to figure out what, what was going on with the thing. And, I mean, you know, that, that happens in development. You know, you've got stuff that's not, yeah. you know, stuff that's been hacked together and you know, all kinds of weird things yeah. happen. So, like while we're building this right. piece, we're just going to cram this piece from another car in here and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty much, yeah. Yeah, we won't talk about the battery fires. Um, <laughs> so, all right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, since we last spoke, I, I also had a couple of different vehicles. Um, I had uh, the uh, Shelby Ford Shelby GT500 Mustang, uh, which is currently the the top of the line fastest Mustang you can get, and actually, you know, I guess certainly the most powerful production Mustang to date, um, fastest accelerating one to date. Um, the the version I had was largely a base version. You know, it had a um, the heated, you know, only a couple options on it, the heated and cooled seats, um, the, um, the racing stripes, it had the, the, the vinyl over the top stripes, which uh, is interesting on the GT 500, you can get stripes two different ways. You can get the vinyl stripes, which are $375, or you can opt for the painted stripes where they actually, you know, take the body, uh, comes out of the. Um, out of the paint shop, partway through the process, they mask it uh, by hand, spray the the white stripes over the entire length of the body, um, and then bake it, and then put it back into the the paint shop again for the fi- for the clear coat. So the clear coat is actually on top of the stripes, um, and you can tell when you know if if you. You know, go to it if you see a GT500, and you see the stripes actually extend all the way to the edge of the hood. You know, uh, you know, and the and the grill, uh, rather than stopping just shy of that. And if you run your hand over it, you won't feel the stripes on the painted ones. You'll feel the vinyl stripes because they're on top of the clear coat. The painted stripes, if you want that option, ten thousand dollars, as opposed Ten. to three hundred and seventy-five bucks for the the vinyl. 
I mean, it uh, sounds cool, but so, that's a <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a that's a hell of a lot of money for a very subtle difference. Um, but um, yeah, the GT five hundred has the the five point two liter V eight with a super a big honking supercharger on it, seven hundred and sixty horsepower. So this is essentially Ford's answer to the the Hellcat. Uh, this, is, as I said, is currently the fastest accelerating Mustang you can get. It'll do zero to 60 in about three and a half seconds. Um, next week, I'll actually be driving another vehicle that has a pony badge on it that will accelerate to 60 miles an hour in roughly the same amount of time, um, but does it with zero emissions and, and no noise. And that's the, the Mach-E <laughs> GT. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the GT500... Uh, it it makes a lot of noise. It's very loud, especially if you don't if you start it up and it's not in quiet mode. Because uh, they a couple of years ago, Ford on the Mustang introduced something they call quiet mo- different exhaust modes. You know, so it opens and closes different valves in the exhaust system, and you can get a quiet mode, which they also nicknamed the the good neighbor mode. And when I got up to um, go to a meeting last Wednesday, um, and I fired up the car. Uh, my wife was in the, the bedroom at the opposite end of the house, and she knew she as soon as she fired, as soon as I fired, as soon as I hit the start button, she knew it was running because it was this sucker is loud, um, and uh, it's it is quick too, and it's you know runs on it uh, rolls on um, Michelin Pilot Sport Cup two tires, which you would think um, by looking at them, you know they look nearly like slicks. It, it they don't look like tires that would do well in anything but dry weather conditions, you know. But they it had been raining that morning, and I had to go to a meeting, and they did surprisingly well. I, I was I was shocked at you know how much traction I actually had. Now, granted, I did you know I was very gentle with the accelerator pedal. Uh, didn't didn't do anything foolish with it. You know, I wanted to make sure that you know I got there in one piece. Um, but I did notice at one point when I was driving up Telegraph Road to Pontiac uh, that when I went to change lanes, as I crossed over the the white lane lines on the pavement, I could feel the car squiggle a little bit <laughs> just as the tires traversed those those white stripes because there was less traction there, and I could feel it kind of moving around underneath me. So I knew I knew at that point it's like yeah I. Definitely better be very careful with this thing. Um, it's a lot of fun to drive. Uh, you know, it's it, I'd say it's a lot more fun to drive than previous GT500s. In the past, you know, the GT500 was very much really just a drag strip car. It was great in a straight line, but they never handled very well because they they tend they're they're more nose heavy than any other Mustang because that engine with the, the blower on there and everything. Uh, it's got a lot more front weight bias, and they were generally not great handling cars. But this current generation, I mean, it's really been transformed. I mean, certainly being on the S550 platform helps a lot. You get independent rear suspension, but they also come standard with things like MagnaRide dampers and um, you know really good wheels and tires, uh, big big brake brakes. I drove it uh, back in late 2019 uh, when they did the launch program at uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And it was really impressive on the track there. Uh, it's you know it's not quite as good as a GT350 on the track, uh, but it's also got 200 plus more more horsepower 
than the GT350. Um, unfortunately, you can't get a manual transmission with the GT500. It's only comes with a seven-speed DCT now. But uh, you know, I if you want something with this much power, you know, that's pretty much the way it's going to be from almost everybody now. It's it's increasingly difficult to get really high-powered cars with manual transmissions anymore. Um, yeah. I just feel like a lot of people would just be melting clutches. Like you just have a lot of people coming yeah. back a week later with just clutch melting from the <laughs> the uh, from the transmission. <laughs> the bell just, housing. Just yeah, from the bell housing. Just like, well, there you go. <laughs> That's why we don't give you yep. all manual transmissions. Time you for can't handle one. them. Yeah. <laughs> so I yep. can't have nice things. <laughs> yep. So uh, you know the 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 Tremec. Uh, Seven-speed DCT on this thing works great. Um, no complaints there. Uh, the uh, the base price on the GT500 is $70,300 um, with the options that I had on here, including the technology package, uh, which comes which includes the 12-speaker the B&O sound system. All told, it came to $78,470, including the delivery charge. Yeah. If you want a really fast, really loud Mustang, this one will definitely do the trick. Uh, you know, whether it's worth you know another twenty, twenty-five grand over a Mach One, um, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure it is, but uh, but it is. It, it's it's great at, at being what it is, um, and uh, oh, and it's also uh, quite thirsty. Um, over the the time I had it, it averaged a about um, 15 miles per gallon, <laughs> which uh, which is why it also that that uh, that 66 or almost seven thousand dollars worth of options slash other on top of the base price includes a twenty six hundred dollar gas guzzler tax. So uh, yeah, so it is it it does have a thirst for fuel, um, but it'll it'll get you to the next gas station very very quickly. Yeah, no, I, I was at that last that Las Vegas launch as well, and it was it was surprise it was surprisingly well mannered on the track. I was surprised at how well, and you know that that you know that independent suspension. Once they went to that, you're like, okay, finally. And that was something to, I would yeah. just I oh, I just, I would just harp on Mustang owners for years for decades about that rear suspension. <laughs> it was just like it's trash rear suspension. The rear suspension is trash. You you got one single axle. Why? Why? What year is this? And even my friends who had Mustangs at Shelby's are like, yeah, we know. <laughs> but then, but yeah, but but now no, that is a it is a fun car to drive. It was very it is very loud. Uh, we got you know we had we got to do uh, quarter mile uh, runs in it in, in mm-hmm. Vegas and it was that was fun and we had a, they had an autocross set up or I guess it was like an autocross, but um, yeah it it is a big loud fun car that uh, is very very expensive I don't yeah I don't know if the fun's worth uh, seventy grand. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, Spe- that's speaking that's of autocross. That's between you and your that's between you and your financiers. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of autocrosses, last Sunday, um, I went to an autocross with my daughter. Um, she bought a Toyota 86 last spring, <clears throat> and she wanted to try autocrossing and asked if I'd go with her. So I said, sure. Um, so we uh, we went to uh, one put on by the Detroit Region SCCA uh, on Sunday, and um, there was somebody there with a, a new GT500. And that is definitely not the car you want to use for an autocross. Uh, you know, as, as good as 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 good as it handles now, 
it's it's too big, too heavy, and too powerful for an autocross. Um, on this course, the you know, and it's hard to say how much was the driver and how much was the car, but um, that particular car was consistently getting between was running about fifty one to fifty three seconds for a lap of that course. In my nineteen ninety Miata, with all the one hundred and sixteen horsepower, out. I ran a best of 46.6. So uh, you know, I was doing about five to six seconds faster than a GT500. <laughs> so it's it's definitely not an autocross car. Um, yeah. High-speed cruising, you know, back roads, yeah, no problem. But uh, but definitely not. Or even on a big track, on a, you know, take it to a proper track day. But definitely, yeah, big track. if you're, if you're going to go to an autocross, leave the GT500 at home. Find a Miata or Toyota 86 or something or BRZ. Those are those are really good for that. Um, the other vehicle that I had was the Toyota Highlander Hybrid, which I've previously driven earlier in the year. Um, the uh, the the new Highlander. Uh, you know, I've I've said before, it's it's not you know I think it's it's an attractive vehicle, but I actually prefer the design of the previous generation Highlander. Um, you know, this one's got, you know, kind of some long sweeping curves, you know, it's got the, the bulging rear fender that kind of echoes the look of the Supra, which I'm not entirely sure works on a big three row crossover like this, but, uh, it's not bad, but it's just, it's not my cup of tea personally. Um, inside though, it's vastly improved, uh, much nicer than previous Highlanders. Um, got a much better, um, infotainment system that I'm, I'm really liking the new Toyota infotainment system, uh, much better than the old Entune, um, works, you know, with CarPlay and Android auto, but even the, the, the embedded stuff works, works reasonably well. Although the, the voice recognition stuff for navigation, like if you want to use navigation, um, or use voice recognition to input a destination, it's, it's still pretty hit and miss, not as bad as Volkswagen, but still pretty hit and miss. Um, so if you want accurate voice rec for your for your navigation, stick to your Siri or Google Assistant for that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it's it's a lovely you know family crossover. Um, you know, holds seven people, um, and with the hybrid system on on there, uh, it, it's on, on this generation of the Highlander. They went from the previous generation used. Uh, a hybrid system with the 3.5 liter V6. So the same setup that you'll find in the Lexus RX. This new, the new one, they're using a 2.5 liter four cylinder. So they went uh, less performance, more uh, fuel economy. And it, it pays off. You know, if what you want is a really fuel efficient, big SUV, you know, three row SUV, um, this is the beast for you. You know, it's 243 horsepower combined between the, the four-cylinder and, and the electric motor. Um, so, you know, for a big vehicle like that, it's not slow, but it's not it's not as quick as, you know, what you'll get with the V6 in, like, a Telluride or a Palisade or, or an Explorer. Um, but none of those vehicles are going to get you 37 miles per gallon, which is what I got driving this thing around, uh, you know, which is – very impressive for for such a large vehicle. Um, so if if you're if you're looking for a family hauler with with great fuel economy, uh, this is the one for you. And and the one I had uh, was all wheel drive. Um, 
and it was the limited, so you know, it was loaded with all the goodies, you know, LED headlights, um, and all the like all the current Toyotas. It comes with a full suite of driver assist systems, the Toyota Safety Sense 2.5 Plus, uh, with pre collision warning, uh, pre collision system, pedestrian detection, uh, adaptive cruise control, lane centering, uh, the full, full gamut of, of just about everything you can imagine. Um, the uh, 11 speaker JBL audio system, uh, eight inch, uh, or yeah, or sorry, larger uh, touchscreen. It's a 12.3 inch, uh, touch center touchscreen, uh, display. So, uh, it's very responsive, got big touch targets, uh, very easy to use. Um, all told, this came to 47,100. No, wait, that's not right. Uh, $50,363, including delivery. So just over 50 grand, um, which, you know, is not cheap, but by comparison with, you know, the competition, it's, it's in the same ballpark as the, as the competitors. Uh, so, you know, and the 37 miles per gallon that I saw is actually better than the EPA label fuel economy, which is only 35. So it's, if, if you're, yeah, even though you're spending a fair bit amount of money on this thing, you're not going to spend a whole lot on fuel for it. So there's that, um, and that's it for the the Highlander hybrid. Have you driven the Highlander, the new Highlander? Um, I don't. I haven't driven the new one. Because I haven't driven anything with the new and tune system. Um, okay. And so it's it's yeah. So it's it's it is. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it because the old in tune system is a pile of garbage and um <laughs> yeah. i mean and it, and it was and i and i, and I think I, I think toyota knows that it was a pile of garbage I, I think they understand that i know for a few years they were very reluctant to allow um apple and google to attach to connect to their vehicles because they didn't want to give up that space to these third parties and they finally sort of relented while they were working on their own system and i think that's what a lot of automakers have done they sort of relented and allowed these systems into their vehicles because that's what uh, customers want um, as they work on their own systems, as they work to sort of, you know, make their systems better. I mean, I, I find myself in Mercedes, like not really using CarPlay at all. Um, but I, I'm using MBUX. I'm just yelling at the car the entire time. Um, and so as, as these systems get better, and that's not to say MBUX is, is perfect, um, but it is better than most of what everyone else has on the market. So as these systems, you know, as they advance and get better, people will, will probably sometimes they'll be like, well, you know, I'm listening to music here, but I want to use this system because, you know, it works, especially if I have an EV, right? Oh, it'll help me find a charging station. Whereas, you know, um, Apple Maps and Google Maps doesn't really take that into account, you know, when, when you're driving. Yeah. Um, you know, they're supposed to with the Bolt, but I don't know if that's come out yet, but. Yeah, so I think there's there there is a sort of reluctance, and then allowing it, and then hoping that they can catch up and hopefully surpass these systems at some point. Yeah, and and with this new uh, Entune that's in the um, in the Highlander, uh, it it actually if you're using CarPlay or Android Auto, it splits the screen about one thirds, two thirds, or maybe a quarter or three quarters. So you get three quarters of the screen for the smartphone projection display, and then the other quarter. 
keeps some of the embedded Toyota stuff in there. So you can swipe up and down uh, through various um, things. So if you want to see the energy flow for the hybrid system or, uh, you know, see some of the other uh, Toyota features in there, you can still see that in there. You can also um, swipe uh, across and switch the position. So if you want the smartphone display on the on the right hand side and the Toyota stuff on the left uh, where you can get it closer you can have it that way or you can just swipe and swap they swap places um, so that's you know there's, there's quite a bit of flexibility built into it and it's it's a fairly easy to use interface you know the the icons are are easy to you know you look at them easy to figure out what they are and you know what what is you know what what to tap for whatever function you want so um, I I would say it's it's a more attractive system and definitely much more functional. And if they can just get to a point where their embedded voice recognition works better, then um, you know, then I might be less inclined to use the smartphone system. Yeah, a lot of companies. I mean, you have Volvo and Volvo and and Polestar. They're going with Android Auto, so you're using the and you know using Google Assistant. And then there's companies that are going with with the uh, with Alexa. Um, using the Alexa system, essentially, you're just embedding that voice system into your into your system, so that right, people that's what can, Stellantis you know, is doing. Yeah, Stellantis, and I think, I think, um, you know, that's that's kind of smart because you're you're sort of, you know, you already have tier one suppliers. You're using Bosch mm-hmm. and all these other tier one suppliers for for parts for your car. And I think there's there's portions of the infotainment system that if you can't do it, if you don't have the resources to build a robust voice assistant, then maybe just use other people have and just be you know partner with them and 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 make it you know if you can use their technology to make your system better then that's you know thumbs up absolutely all right let's discuss a few of the uh things that came up this week um first of all i just want to touch base um we had a couple of emails uh from people about um follow up on my comments on the last show about the price of the Tesla charge connector. Um, and <clears throat> I, I misspoke. Uh, I was referencing a price that was from quite a few years ago. Uh, at one point they did in fact charge $3,000 for the charging cable. Um, but it's now much cheaper depending on which one you get. Um, the higher power one, I think it is $520 now. And um, there's a even cheaper one that is only $300 now. So, or actually, uh, sorry, $275 for the Gen 2 mobile connector bundle. Uh, and so that gets you uh, a cable and uh, adapt an adapter to plug in to a 120 volt, a standard 120 volt outlet. Um, or uh, there's also a NEMA adapter uh, included in the in the kit as well. It's so funny that it, if you have a, a dryer outlet, it's funny it has a NEMA adapter, but the maximum power output is still 1.3 kilowatts, which is just what you get from a 110 volt. Yeah, well, they they. That's the if you want the the higher power the higher charging power um, that you have to pay that's for the five hundred and twenty dollar cable yeah that gets you the uh, the I think eight seven or eight kilowatts it's still way cheaper uh, than my Hyundai one which was again like a lot over <laughs> a thousand dollars like yeah. oh my gosh it's essentially sort of the same thing I, yeah <laughs> um, so er- earlier this afternoon uh, you and I were both on a uh, briefing call with GM where they announced, and this is part of uh, 
they're actually making a whole bunch of announcements this week and in the early part of next week ahead of their uh, investor day that they're doing next Wednesday, um, where they're you know they're going to be trying to convince Wall Street that hey we are a modern tech company and and we should be taken seriously and valued like a, a modern tech company, not a hundred plus year old automaker. Um, so th- today they announced uh, something called Altify. Um, do you want to try and explain what Altify is? So Altify is GM's, uh, well, it's their plan to make their infotainment system and, and the systems and a bunch of other uh, of their software that's in the vehicle more like a smartphone, more like something that they can upgrade over the air. You get over the up- upgrades, which everyone is essentially either doing or plans on doing. But also they want to be able to sell you subscriptions for certain uh, for certain uh, features. So if you want to use Super Cruise, but you don't want to buy Super Cruise for an entire, you don't want to go out and spend the, you know, so much money for Super Cruise and then pay the monthly fee every month for it. You only want to use it for maybe a road trip you're going to do. Well, you could just rent, essentially rent Super Cruise for, you know, a month or a week or whatever. They haven't really, it's a lot, there, it's a lot of fuzzy and hazy what's going to happen with this when it comes, they, they didn't really, uh, they didn't really have any like solid, like this is one of the things we're going to do. It was a lot of like, well, we could do this and we could do this. Um, so it's, it's, it is, uh, you know, it's these, these companies are sort of, it's, it's additional revenue stream because if you can give people, um, additional features that they can subscribe to and they can sort of turn on and turn off as they need it. And that's, Revenue that as we move to EVs, I think they're going to start losing, um, especially when it comes to trucks. I mean, trucks are just money making machines. And at some point, you're not going to be able to make a truck for like five dollars and sell it for twenty five dollars, which is essentially how the entire truck industry works, like pickup trucks. Um and so with, with with that going away, they have to figure out other ways to start making money. And, and with GM, they're, they, they have Altify, which, you know, it's if you if there are features that you want to add to your vehicle later on, you can. And if there are features, you know, if you don't want it to be part of any of this, you can just have the regular infotainment system uh, that they have. It was. And, you know, they're, they they announced it. They talked a little bit about things they could be doing, what they think they could do. But there's no real solid uh, what they're going to do with it other than it's going to sit on top of uh, Linux and it'll sit beside uh, some vehicles that also have Android, Automo- Android Automotive. So it's – yeah, it, it, it was very sort of hazy. It was sort of a hazy uh, <laughs> a bit of, of information. But it shows that they are thinking about becoming uh, – you know, essentially looking at what Tesla has been doing and saying, hey, why don't we do that? Because those people seem to enjoy that. Yeah, you know, as you said, it's a it's a platform that sits on top of Linux, and it it will provide developers with APIs that um, they can use to access basically any vehicle data, um, and and create all kinds of <clears throat> different apps um, that you know with potential revenue streams, you know, um, where whether it might be one time purchase or subscriptions and. And and it'll also allow GM to make apps like like you talked about, you know, the potential for um, renting something, renting a feature like Super Cruise, um, you know. And we've heard you know about other automakers, BMW, you know, has talked about that, you know, with their uh, their latest generation stuff. Um, you know, they're they're looking at 
make, providing subscriptions to various kinds of features like heated seats, for example. You just subscribe to them in the wintertime, and then in the summertime, you don't need them. Uh, I think for, you know, for the manufacturer, you know, I think having a platform like that is fine. It's, it's going to, you know, it'll give them the potential for some new revenues, um, depending on how they price the stuff. It's, I'm going to be fascinated to see whether consumers are actually interested in paying a subscription fee for all these different features. Um, that's the big unknown that, you know, nobody has quite figured out yet. Um, you know, how, how much real willingness is there for people, you know, when they've got a car payment already, how much are they going to be willing to pay nickel and dime for all these other things uh, that, that they, you know, may want to use? Um, that's, I mean, it's tough. Like I say, big unknown. It's tough because, I mean, BMW got slammed um, over their, their idea that you had to pay an extra 80 bucks or whatever a year yeah. to, to use CarPlay, which – you know, I could get CarPlay in a Hyundai for free. <laughs> if I had a Hyundai, yeah. it supported CarPlay. Boom, I just had CarPlay. And BMW tried to set this thing up like, well, if you pay us $80 a year, you can use CarPlay in your car. And people lost their minds, and rightfully so. And so you know, even at, at during the – during, and again, this is all sort of hazy when they talked about – they didn't really specify any real features that are coming or subscription services that are coming. But one of the things they noticed, like, oh, what about real-time traffic? I'm like – well, we get real-time traffic for free right now, essentially. Um, and it's, and if I can, if I have to pay for real-time traffic in three years when this goes live, I could just plug in my phone and get real-time traffic. You know, you're, you're if you're pushing people away, you have to be very careful with these systems because you can push them away. And like we said when we talked about like giving up that space to um, to to you know Google and, and Apple, if you push people back to Google and Apple, that's a that's a bad scene because you're putting all this research and development, and you have these developers who are building these apps, and if they're you're not compelling enough to pay five dollars a month, ten dollars a month, twenty dollars, we don't know what the pricing will be. By the way, <laughs> um, then you're, yeah, you're, yeah, well, you're, you're, well, you're, and there's 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 a whole other issue as well, which is you know getting developers to actually build for the Altify platform. You know, if you look at the, the mobile phone market, you know, we have basically two operating systems today, two platforms. You got iOS and Android, you know, and there were, there used to be others, you know, Nokia had their system, uh, BlackBerry had their platform. It was Windows, you know, Microsoft Windows Mobile. Um, and all of those went away in part because they didn't have enough market share and developers only have so much resources to support different platforms. You know, today, you know, there's, you know, in most cases they support both Android and, and, and iOS, but in some cases they, they don't even bother supporting Android. They'll only do iOS or only do Android. And for an automaker to try to put its own platform out there and say, hey, come and build apps for our platform that's completely incompatible with what Ford is doing and what Volkswagen is <laughs> doing and what Tesla is doing. You know, it's like, who's going to do that? You know, especially when it's, you look at the size of the market, you know, the automotive market, um, you know, it's in terms of unit volumes, it's quite a bit smaller than, um, than the, um, the phone market, you know, Apple alone, you know, Apple sells, you know, maybe three or 400 million iPhones every year. Um, very, all the various Android vendors sell, you know, upwards of a billion, uh, 
or a billion and a half phones every year. And, um, you know, you sell, we sell about 90 million vehicles a year globally. And then you split that up, you know, among a dozen or more different platforms to develop for. I can't, I see it's going to be really tough for them to attract anybody. I mean, Ford tried to do this with their Sync AppLink system when they launched it over a decade ago, you know, said, here's some APIs, you know, you can have your apps connect to our car and you can, you know, users can control the app on your phone through, you know, through AppLink uh, and through our, you know, through the voice recognition. And, you know, you look today and there's maybe a dozen AppLink apps, you know, it's, it's, I don't see it attracting a whole lot of attention from third parties. It's going to be really tough for, for GM or anybody else to do that. Um, cause it's just going to be too fragmented. So uh, they're, they're going to get Spotify and iHeartRadio. Those are the two they're going to get. Yeah. And then yeah, that's exactly. going to be it because it's, I, I, I'm assuming they essentially, and, a Spotify, what Spotify and iHeartRadio do is build containers for a web page that loads. That's it. Yeah. I, I think they just build a container just, for a web page. And that's, you know, that's what Pandora was doing for years. You know, that Pandora yeah. was on every vehicle, you know, they did the same kind of thing. So, okay. Um, Another one of the uh, news drops from uh, from GM uh, yesterday uh, was about BrightDrop, which is their new commercial vehicle, com- electric commercial vehicle business unit. Um, back in January, I think they announced BrightDrop and, and announced their first product, the EV600, which is a big delivery van, you know, big box van, like the big FedEx and UPS vans that you see. So this, this is a larger van than, you know, even the biggest Ford Transit. Um, and uh, they, they announced the other day that, um, you know, they had only kicked off the whole Bright Drop program 20 months ago. You know, they decided to do this to build, you know, electric commercial vehicles on their Altium powertrain platform. And, they developed and got this thing into production in just 20 months, um, which is pretty amazing. I mean, you know, compared to a, a typical consumer vehicle, it's it's a lot simpler vehicle in a lot of ways. So, you know, and they had already developed the powertrain and the batteries and everything. Uh, so they're basically using stuff from, you know, that's going to be in, in the Hummer EV and various other vehicles. Um, but they, they've started low-volume production of this thing. They're, um, the towards the end of next year, they're go- actually going to be building these things in higher volumes at uh, their plant in Ingersoll, Ontario, that currently builds the Chevy Equinox. Um, the Equinox production there is going to end in April of next year, and then they're going to retool it for bright drop production. But until then, um, they're working with their supplier that's actually making most of the equipment that's going to go into Ingersoll um, at their facility here in Michigan. And they're building, low, doing low-volume production. Um, the first 500 units of this are going to FedEx. And um, they plan to start you know, delivering these vehicles in, in the coming weeks you know, so that FedEx can start using these before the, the holiday delivery rush, you know, before you know, they're delivering all the Christmas stuff and Black Friday stuff. Um, and uh, so they, they don't know exactly how many FedEx is going to have in its fleet by the end of the year. Uh, but by early part of, you know, by probably the end of first quarter of next year, they should have 500 of these EV600s in the FedEx fleet. Um, and um, then they also announced the addition of a second model, the EV410, which, um, you know, they have a very creative naming scheme. Uh, it's EV and then a number that represents the 
cubic fe- cubic foot volume of the uh, the cargo <laughs> area. So the EV six hundred holds six hundred cubic feet of stuff. Yep. EV four ten. 410 cubic feet of stuff. That if you're a fleet, uh, if you're if you're a purchaser for a fleet management company, that's the best thing in the world. By the way, <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. Well, it's an electric vehicle and it's 600 cubic feet. Well, how much does this one have? Okay, yeah, that's cool. We we can do that. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, depending on what the use case is, you know, I mean, fleets, you know, buy different sizes of vans depending on what they need. You know, the, the 410 is going to be pretty much the same size as a long body high roof Ford Transit. Um, so, you know, you'll see them, you know, plumbers and electricians and stuff using them. And, uh, you know, the, the bigger one is used by delivery companies, things like that. Uh, so that's, you know, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more electric vans, you know, driving around our neighborhoods, delivering our, uh, our packages that we order online. Uh, you know, uh, Amazon has already got several dozen of the Rivian vans running in about, I think five cities now. Uh, they've got. They started in L.A. earlier in the summer. Uh, they've got some here in the Detroit area now, and there's there three other cities. Um, <clears throat> and Amazon's ordered a hundred thousand of those for delivery by the end of the decade. Um, so I think delivery delivery vans are going to start getting a lot quieter in the next uh, year or so. Yeah, I talked to uh, Bright Drop. I talked to Travis, the CEO of Bright Drop, and. Yeah. Uh, Chief Operating Officer of of, of uh, FedEx a few months ago about what what they were doing and what was going on and FedEx is, had already been sort of testing them and they were talking about um, what was interesting is like you said like the scale the ability to scale because they are part of GM is a huge huge uh, reason why companies like FedEx are interested in Bright Drop because if you have a uh, you know some sort of small EV um, startup if that startup like collapses. Yeah, if that startup like collapses, <laughs> like Workhorse, um, or just a, like dozens of other ones. But if you're, yeah, if you have yeah. Workhorse and you you buy these and then they just sort of disappear, the company disappears. What do you do? How do you get these fixed? Whereas GM has, yeah. you know, there's, you know, there's there's factories and service centers and and people who can sell them and service them and and whatever and you know you can do all these things because you're associated with GM and. So for for these big companies like FedEx and whoever else is looking into buying these things, that that is a big big uh, selling point for them. And I think you know have, being able to able to scale quickly because they're they're associated with GM. It's 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 you know you can sit there and say, well, you know these cool startups are doing this thing, but they don't have the resources that GM has. And those resources mean a lot to these people who are buying. You know, even for buying ten, if you buy ten of these. And your the company collapses, you're screwed. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you're FedEx and you're buying, you know, hundreds of thousands of these, then you're like, oh. So yeah, what Rivian yeah, did that's, was insane. That's why, yeah, I mean that, that's why. You know, I mean Rivian. You know, they got lucky that Amazon decided, yeah, okay, we're gonna use you guys. You know, and that that basically put Rivian on the map. You know, and said, okay, oh, yeah. we've, we've got at least a hundred thousand committed sales. You know, we're, you know, that's, that's a big help to a company, but, you know, and that's why, you know, Ford and, and GM and Stellantis, because Stellantis is also launching uh, next year, um, an electric version uh, or rather than 2023, an electric version of the ProMaster van that, cause they already sell that in Europe as the mm-hmm. Fiat Ducato, the E-Ducato. So there's going to be an electric ProMaster and Ford is launching the E-Transit uh, this fall. Uh, so, you know, they're all three of them, you know, are, they're leveraging that same kind of attitude that customers have, you know, they're, they, they're, 
their customers are going to be more willing to buy from a known quantity, you know, that, that they're already buying vans from, you know, yeah. so, you know, they already know how these things work. You know, they've already got a relationship with the, the fleet sales guys and, you know, with the dealers, you know, for, for maintenance and everything. It's, um, I, I think, you know, those, those three companies in particular, and also Mercedes and, and then, then Rivian. Yeah, I think Rivian is like the one newcomer that I think has a solid chance of succeeding. Uh, you know, Mercedes is also bringing an electric version of the Sprinter van. Um, and, you know, those four companies, though, right now, they dominate that that market for those kinds of vans. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I think they will they will largely continue to with the addition of Rivian in there as well. Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, Rivian's the, the sort of the, the odd man out in that, that situation, but they... Yeah, that that Amazon deal that, that's that's game changing for them. Yeah. Um, speaking of Ford, um, did you hear their news yesterday? They're spending a lot of money on uh, on EVs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, between Ford and, and SK, um, eleven point four billion dollars to build two new campuses dedicated to uh, ramping up EVs. Um, one's in Kentucky. Um, about 50 miles south of Louisville, where Ford already has two big assembly plants that build Super Duties and full-size SUVs and um, the um, Ford Escape and Lincoln Corsair. Uh, and then the other one is in Tennessee. Um, so in Kentucky, they're building they, – uh, back earlier this summer, they announced they're, they're, they're doing a joint venture with SK called Blue Oval SK to build batteries. Um, and – they're building two battery plants in Kentucky. And then in Tennessee, they're building uh, this massive complex that they're calling Blue Oval City that includes two more battery plants, plus Ford's first all-new Greenfield assembly plant since 1969. The last time they opened a brand-new plant on a new location was the uh, Kentucky truck plant in, in Louisville. And that, was, that opened in 1969. And they're building a new electric truck plant in Tennessee uh, near Memphis. Um, and uh, they're going to be expanding F -ser electric F-series production down there. Uh, and what's interesting is I was on the call with uh, Lisa Drake, the um, COO, the other day. And uh, you know they're not talking specifically what products they're going to build there other than to say F-series. And this is the first time that they're not just saying F-150. Um, you know, with with the the plant in in Dearborn where they're building the Lightning starting next spring, uh, you know that is specifically an F one fifty plant. This new plant in Tennessee is an F series plant, which implies that they're going to be building F one fifties and Super Duties there, and and potentially other form factors as well. Um, and you know, between those two, they're they're planning about eleven thousand new jobs. Um, Ford is putting in seven billion of that investment, uh, with the other four and a half billion coming from SK. Uh, and uh, t this uh, this afternoon there was a story that came out in the Detroit News, um, quoting uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, saying that you know they Michigan never even really got a chance to compete to bid on getting either of these facilities. Um, which is interesting, you know, because when when you look at what's happening with the, the EV production, uh, you know, they're trying to localize more and more of it, and especially getting battery plants, you know, 
relatively close proximity to assembly plants, uh, and it would have it seemed it would seem like it would have made more sense for Ford, you know, not, to not put a plant in Tennessee because right now they don't have any production in the southeast. Um, but they're they're doing that, and you know, Ford put out a statement basically saying that, you know, these, these two sites in Kentucky and Tennessee, um, you know, had the uh, amount of space that they needed and, and other facilities and they were ready to go, you know, they were shovel ready, ready to start construction right away. Um, and, and they said, they stated that, you know, that there was nothing available in Michigan that met their needs. And I think that that's only part of the story. Um, I think that there's, there's another piece to this, which is politics because, um, if you look at the way the defense contractors work and space contractors for NASA, um, you know, when when you have big expensive projects that that run way over budget and way over way past schedule, like the Space Launch System or the F thirty five fighter, um, you know a lot of people complain. Well, why don't we just kill these projects? Well, th- part of the reason why members of Congress don't vote to kill these projects is because the, the the contractors have learned a very important lesson over the years. When there's jobs in a representative or a senator's district that uh, would be lost if they voted to kill a project, they're much less likely to vote to kill that project. So if you look at <laughs> something like the F, if you look at something like the F-35, they Lockheed Martin has hundreds of subcontractors. They literally have production of at least some component of the F-35 in almost all 535 congressional districts in the United States. I think that's over 500 of them have some part of the F-35 that's being built there. Same thing is true for the Space Launch System. There's pieces of that being built all over the country, uh, which is why Congress never votes to kill those things. My guess is that Ford is doing something similar with with their decision where to put these plants because, you know, if they're making all this investment in building EVs and building batteries, and the same is true for other automakers, and they want to make sure that there's actually consumer demand for these vehicles when they're out, when they get out there. And so when, um, you know, to do part of doing that is – Getting the incentives, getting the tax incentives for sales of the vehicles, getting um, incentives for building charging infrastructure, and you know, to do you know the the representatives that are most likely to vote against something like that are in places like oh Tennessee, Kentucky, Kentucky. and <laughs> other southern states. And so, if you spend all this money in their states and employ a whole bunch of people. You know, in their districts, they're going to be a lot less likely to vote against those things. And so I'm thinking that that was a big part of Ford's calculus and why they chose to put those plants where they did. I mean, that's really smart because if you it, it really I mean, a lot of Congress just wants to keep their job. <laughs> that's all there is mm-hmm. to it. They just want to keep their job. They, they want to be voted in. And if, if Ford puts a giant factory in Tennessee and they're employing like you know thousands of people in the state and the, you know, the, you know, either state or national uh, politicians in that area are voting against um, essentially their constituents' employment by, like, voting against, like, infrastructure systems and and EV uh, rebates and or tax credits or whatever, that's going to be bad for them. 
So when you have, yeah. you know, when you have your constituents saying, hey, I work at this this car plant, this truck plant or whatever, and we're making electric cars, you need to make sure the electric cars are going to be on the road. You need to make sure that when I when we have electric cars that you can drive them everywhere and all this stuff. So you can, yeah, if you sort of diversify and like you said, like Lockheed, just sort of throw your stuff into everything so that if anyone votes against you, you're like, look what you're doing to your people and your, you know, and your <laughs> your district. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 tricky and it's unfortunate. That's how that's how companies have to do because I mean the F thirty five is a piece of trash. But <laughs> But, um, you know, if, if, if Ford makes a good product. Same can be said about the SLS, too. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, you know, if, you, if you're building a good product and you need, you know, that's, I'm, I'm fine with it. If you're building a good product, if you're building trash and you're just sort of holding it over people, then that's going to be a, an issue we'll, yeah. we'll have to deal with, I guess, in five-ish years. Yeah. But I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, as GM announces the location of more of its battery plants, as Stellantis does the same and other manufacturers do the same, we may see a similar strategy of putting them in states where, you know, they need some help to convince senators or Congress critters to, uh, to vote for these, these incentives. In the, uh, the, 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 right. the, the fossil industry states. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Uh, Lucid uh, officially started production of the Air yesterday, and they, they'll start delivering those sometime later in October to customers. Um, that's all we know at the moment. Uh, none of us have driven it yet. Let's, uh, let's dive into a couple of uh, listener emails uh, before we wrap it up for the evening. Um, first one is from uh, Mark Shakespeare, and it's kind of a long one here. It says, uh, many thanks for continuing to provide informative and always entertaining podcast." Love Nicole's Boston driving insights. Since for my first few years in the U.S., I lived in Massachusetts and realized that the state driving motto was attack the space, a required skill when driving towards and into Boston. Not sure how that will play out when Boston drivers all have torque monster EVs. Um, so my, my VW GTI Mark 7 Sport is now four years old, one year outside of warranty. According to the armchair experts in the social media forums, for the last year, I've been living on borrowed time, and I need to switch out my CL, my, my uh, check engine light bulb if it is not coming on every time I start the car. <laughs> um, <laughs> joking aside, this is my third GTI. It's a great car and does everything really, really well. That said, I think it's time to go back to rear-wheel drive. Miss my old FRS for the next car. I really would like an Alpha Julia TI with the sport suspension, but the nearest Alpha dealers are five-plus hours drive. I called our local Stellantis dealership that does Dodge, uh, Jeep, Fiat, etc., but not Alpha, and they said they cannot do warranty work on an Alpha. I understand that a dealer would be need uh, service team members with Alpha training, access to Alpha diagnostic software, and the dealer would need to carry some parts and also have access to the parts. All it said, could a large company like Stellantis with so many brands be legally able to allow franchise dealers to provide warranty work on a brand? Uh, Alfa Romeo, even if the dealer was not in an authorized an authorized seller of the brand, seems like a great way to sell more cars. Uh, experts on the social media forums would say that Alphas are not reliable, and indeed some publications would agree. I do not have enough Alpha experience to say one way or the other, but having access to a dealer who can do warranty service work seems like the common sense. No, it seems like common sense, no matter what the brand. Um, so, as far as the Alpha reliability goes, I think there were some problems early on when they launched the Julia. 
as far as I know, most of those have been sorted out, and they're they're generally pretty good right now. Talking to our former co-host Rebecca, she drives an Alpha Stelvio and hasn't had any issues with it. Um, so uh, I wouldn't necessarily be too concerned about the reliability um, if you were to buy one now. But servicing, what do you think? That's tough because I think Alpha is a bit like Volkswagen. <laughs> Right now, I think, you know, you, the Volkswagen thing, like like he said, like if his check engine bulb isn't coming on, it must be burnt out. Um, you know, Volkswagen, you're gonna, you're either going to get like an amazing car that will last for 500 years or you might get something that's not so great. I think that's where, where Alpha is right now. I think that's where Stellantis is as a whole. I think there were years and years where you could get a, a Fiat or a Dodge or whatever or a Chrysler and you just knew it was something weird was going to happen with it. And I think they're – their their quality has gone up, but you still have those sort of weird, you know, one offs issues. And I think when the Alpha, when the um, the uh, the uh, God, I can't remember the name. What's what's the, <laughs> the Julia? When the Julia first came out, there were a lot of cars that came out that had a lot of issues. And I think that's and of course everyone just pointed like, well, it's an Alpha. But having said that, you know, two or three years down the road. Um, it, the manufacturing has essentially gotten better. And also, the Julia is an, an outstanding vehicle. It is so great to drive. It was so wonderful. I love the Julia. Oh, but not having a service center within, what, five hours? That's Five hours, That's yeah. tough. That's tough because what happens if something goes wrong? And you, who do you send your Julia to? And that's, that's, that's sort yeah. of – that is a huge bummer. Um, especially for such a great car that, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's Alfa Romeo. They're sort of slowly been introduced back into the United States. Um, but that also means that they've been slow, you know, you, you have to get dealers and spinning up There's the a limited dealer support. network. Yeah. Spin, spinning up and, and, and having a dealer support, uh, um, you know, an automaker that may or may not be around in 10 years is really tough, especially if you're not in a, uh, a large metropolitan area. If you're in like LA or New York, San Francisco, Houston, whatever, um, you're probably better off because they're like, oh, we can, we can, we can afford because there's going to be a lot more people and more people will be interested in this vehicle. Whereas if you're like, say, in Fresno or Cleveland, it might be a bit tougher where you're like, well, we're going to sell one or two of these. Is it really worth it to have all this staff trained to work on the one or two when they do break down? So it's, yeah. God, I want to tell them this. Say, I want to tell them to buy the Julia because every time someone buys a Julia, an angel gets its wings. Um, but this, ooh, <laughs> yeah, five hours. That is, yeah. You know, as as far as the other Stellantis dealers not servicing Alphas, you know, I think it basically comes down to the fact that the the Stelvio and the Julia are basically unique among the current all, everything that Stellantis sells in North America right now. They don't really share any components or systems with other Stellantis brands, you know, um, you know, across Jeep and Dodge and Chrysler and, um, and Ram, you know, there's a lot of shared stuff and, and most of the, most of the dealers sell multiple brands anyway. Um, so to, to ask those dealers, you know, to service alphas, if they're not selling them, you know, is, you know, it's hard to make the case to, you know, for, you, know, you can't really force them to make that investment, you know, if they're not selling that brand and the the parts and the training and, and everything else. Um, 
so I, I can I can see why um, why they don't service alphas if they're not selling it. Uh, you know, there are alternatives. I mean, I agree with with you, Robbie. That, that you know the the Julia is a fabulous car to drive. Um, but you know, if you want to go rear drive, um, there there's there's other solutions. You know, take a look at the Genesis G seventy, um, the uh, Kia Stinger. You know, is another nice one. Um, you know, the, there's always, you know, BMW, <laughs> BMW. there's the BRZ, and, which is, but I think he, I feel yeah. like he's looking for something a little bit classier than the, Mar, than the, than the Golf, yeah. you know, uh, which trying, is why I, I suggested like the, the G70. Up. Yeah. Yeah. The G70 is a yeah. step over. Yeah. Yeah, the G seventy or the Stinger, I think you know you should take a look at those, and you know at least particularly for the Stinger, you know you can find Kia dealers almost everywhere. Not quite so much for the Genesis, but you probably still find something relatively close to where you are, I would think. Um, so uh, take take a look at those as alternatives. All right, next one is from Ron. Um, my 2014 Nissan Murano transmission died again at 193,000 miles, and I don't want to put any more money into it. I drive them till they die. Do I get a 4Runner or a Telluride? I know the Kia has more fluff. I'm just looking for long-term reliability. What do you think? 4Runner or Telluride is a replacement for the Murano. So, yeah, the, the, the Telluride is going to be a lot more comfortable to drive. Um, it's going to be, like you said, more fluff. It's going to be a, a nicer driving experience. Your, uh, your family might like you a little bit more if you get the Telluride. Um, just because it's, it's, and it's a wonderful car. And I think, you know, Kia and Hyundai, the whole Hyundai Motor Group has really brought it when it comes to the reliability in the last, you know, five, 10 years. They've finally, you know, they, they sort of shaken off that sort of horribleness that they, that they used to be and become this like very uh, solid automaker. Um, that said, if you are plan on doing anything off roady, you get the Forerunner. Of course, the Forerunner is going to drive more like a truck. Um, so you're you're, yeah. you're 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 trading you're trading um, you know the, a, a unibody for body on frame, and that's you know. And when you do that, it's going to drive like a truck. <laughs> and yeah. but you, know, you can. Well, you know, I, 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 I love to talk about the the. Well, I love to talk about the 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 uh, Top Gear uh, episode where you have a Toyota Helix, which is essentially the Tacoma, and they drop it off a building. They do all these insane things. They drive it into the ocean, and the car just and the truck just keeps going. And that that's what you're going to get from Toyota. You, if if you need a vehicle that eventually you want to see um, on the on on TV being driven around by freedom fighters or terrorists or whatever in the desert, it's going to be the Toyota 4Runner. <laughs> they, they just, you cannot kill a Toyota truck. That's what I've learned. Yeah. You, uh, you will probably have no problem at all matching that, you know, nearly 200,000 miles with the 4Runner and, and then doubling or tripling that. Oh, yeah. Um, if, you know, as long as you maintain it. Um, you know, given that, you know, you put 200,000 miles on a 2014 Murano, I'm assuming that Ron doesn't do a whole lot of off-roading. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm not sure if he's looking for a change of lifestyle in addition to a change of vehicle. <laughs> um, you know, so if you are, if Ron, if you are looking to go off-roading, um, you know, then, then definitely, you know, at least take the forerunner for a good long test drive, assuming you can find one. Um, uh, before you, before you sign on the dotted line, you know, make sure, you know, 
take take in take to heart what what Robbie just said about you know the ride quality and make sure that that's something you can live with for two three four hundred thousand miles and um, if it is then go for it um, you know if you want something that's more akin to the way the Murano felt um, that will probably last as, at least as long as the Murano did and and have more room in it uh, than the Murano um, then you know the Kia is probably your best choice. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right. And finally, from Michael Burns, who uh, we, I think we answered a question of his last time as well. He <clears throat> says, um, uh, episode 212 really nicely dovetailed into 211 regarding the Volvo and the Polestar EVs. Um, thanks for uh, taking my questions about the XC40 recharge and EV pricing and tax credits. Regarding Nicole's feedback on the Polestar, Uh, Is the XC40 recharge basically a lifted Polestar 2 all-wheel drive model with Volvo livery? It sounds and looks like nearly the exact same car. Um, Polestar places are scattered around the U.S. The closest to Atlanta is Charlotte. Uh, Are these separate Toyota-like franchises or Tesla-like franchises, i.e. everyone pays the same price for the car, or are these just Polestar dealers where haggling is going to come into play? So let's, let's address that first. Let's address those first two questions. It is, you know, it is, it's the same, it's sort of the same. It's just a lifted Polestar 2. I think there's, there's a little bit of tuning when it comes to how they handle. Um, I'm, I just finished a review for Wired for the XC40 recharge. And every time I drive that car, I forget how fast that thing is. It's over 400, it's 400 and like two or eight or somewhere between 400 and 410 horsepower. And it is just like you stomp on the gas and it slams your passengers' heads into the headrest. It is ridiculous that how quick how quick that that vehicle is. If you're concerned about the Polestar places, if you rather you know the, the Volvo dealership uh, network is is obviously a bit more robust. Um, the you know the XC40 recharges is, is you know, it's a it's it's a nice subcompact SUV. Um, the efficiency level isn't as high as some other automakers. You only get 220 something uh, miles of range, but you get 150 kilowatt. Um, DC fast charging, so it charges a little bit quicker than other cars in that in that area. Um, but it is, yeah, both of them are, yeah. Again, they're they're sort of the same car, but the the you're, you're yeah, talking about the, the two wheel drive. Yeah, they're the same. There's yeah, they're kind of the they're the same platform. Um, yeah, it's, it's right. Drive them both. See what you uh what you which one do you like better? If you need just to, to scooch more room. Uh, I mean, the XC40 might be what you're going for. If you want a little bit more uh, sportiness, then the Polestar 2 would be there, your, your, your jam. And, um, and the Polestar's also got a, a much bigger touch, center touchscreen than the uh, XC40 does. Oh, yeah. Even though they both use the new, the new Android Automotive infotainment system, you get a bigger screen in the Polestar. Um, and, and the Polestar franchise, they're the Polestar dealers, the places, as they call them, um, they, there are still relatively few. They're adding more and more all the time. Uh, but it is more like Tesla. They're, they're, you know, they're, um, they're not factory owned. I think they are franchises, but there's no haggling on the price of the car. Um, so, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And honestly, right now, it doesn't matter what, where you go, you're not going to be doing much haggling on the price of the car, whatever they, whatever they've got in inventory, <laughs> they're going to, you're going to pay that much. Um, especially for used cars right now, at least. Whew. Yeah. Um, so, uh, continuing along regarding Robbie's experience with the Kona EV, did you find yourself having to pay a premium with current chip 
and or inventory shortages. And have you have any of you noticed disclaimers on custom car orders about parts that may have to be installed later because of chip shortages? The Polestar 2 website, for example, lists parts, features that have to be installed at a later date due to semiconductor availability. So did, wow. you, did you have any of those kind of issues with the Kona? So, so I think, um, and I'm going to say that this is probably uh, one of the perks of my job is that uh, when we came in, my wife told them what I do for a living, which is I write about cars and I review cars and I know a lot about cars and I've driven this car before. And she had never driven the car before because when you get a car, you're not allowed to, like, like you're the only person that's allowed to drive it. That's how, that's how it works. I can't just give it to like my, my wife or cousin or whoever. Um, and so I, I, I think it made them a little bit nervous. Um, and there was a markup on the vehicle, but they removed it because I said, I'm like, well, and as they were breaking it down, I'm like, well, there was a markup on the vehicle. I don't want to pay that markup. But like, oh no, 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 we removed that. So I, you can, you can push them to remove it. I know people who have had, um, they're having issues with their, their Broncos. I think that's, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's tons of stories of people out there who are, you know, they, they order a Bronco and then the dealerships put a $10,000 premium on that. A, a Bronco they ordered last or year more. or more. And they're adding these premiums to these people right before they get their cars, which is just, a, 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 it's just a horrible move. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a great way to make people not want to go back to your dealership is what it is. Um, I didn't have that issue. I think they're, you know, um, I, they, they were very uh, nice and they were very accommodating and I made sure, but you know, you have to sort of make sure, especially when it comes to, to buying these vehicles, you know, you see that price say, I'm not paying this and be, 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 be happy with walking away. I think that's one of the, the things that I've, if you, if you fall in love with a car, they know it they, they, because they deal with people who are looking at cars all the time. If you fall in love with a car and they see it. They're just they're just going to be like, well, we can't do anything about it. But if you're happy to walk away, especially towards the end of the month when they have quotas they have to deal with, mm-hmm. um, they, they'll they'll uh, you can you can get them to budge at least a little bit. Um, I, I I am not a fan of the dealer markup. I think it's sort of a a, a jerk move. Uh, when when an automaker says, oh, this car starts at this much, and then you go to the store and you're like, no, no, we're charging more. It's like if you went to Target to buy. You know, a video game and the video game maker says it's sixty dollars and you go to Target and Target's like, Well, everyone wants this video game, so we're gonna charge you eighty dollars. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of the flip side, you know, the you know, the price on the sticker, there's a reason why it says manufacturer suggested retail price. This is the price that the, the automaker says you should probably sell it for. But you know, franchise dealers are independent businesses. They can literally sell it for any price that they want. You know, um, if they want to sell it at a loss, they can do that. Um, you know, and the flip side of being able to haggle and get the price down by five or, you know, more $1,000 is that sometimes when there's something really popular, it might be more than the sticker price. And that's that's just the way it is. And, and like you said, you know, you got to be prepared. You know, if if they're charging too much, just walk away, you know. Let them know that I'm not I'm not going to pay that, and just walk walk out the door. And you know, depending on on how popular the vehicle is, I mean, unfortunately, you know, in in, in cases like the Bronco where it's very popular, you know, they they can get away with stuff like that on those kinds of vehicles because they know that if you walk away, somebody else is going to walk in 15 minutes from now, and they're going to be willing to pay it. You know? Oh yeah, and that's that's unfor- that's that's why they can do it. You know, and it's. It's basic supply and demand. When there's limited supply and a lot of demand, the price goes up. 
And when it's the inverse, the price goes down. Yeah. Um, I so, don't think there's a there's, there's a huge demand for the Kona EV. They just all I did was a refresh. They made yeah. it a little bit cheaper. It's not the Bronco. Uh, I don't think I could have walked yeah. in and said I, th- I I know I know some friends who who've been able to knock like half like off. You know, same paying ten thousand, they're only going to pay five thousand, which still feels like ugh. But you know, they were able to knock that 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 uh, that some at least some of that um, that dealer markup off. Um, if you really want a car and it's in high demand, you're, especially now, it's good luck. It's a tough time to buy a car right yeah. now. Um, as far as features that you know, car makers are saying you know. We'll, when we have the parts, you know, bring it back and we'll install it. Most automakers are not doing that. Um, you know, they're either just shipping it with without certain features, or they're not shipping the vehicle at all. Uh, in some cases, um, you know, one example of shipping without certain features. Story came out today that um, GM is suspending installations of Super Cruise on the Escalade and delaying the launch of Super Cruise on. Um, some other models, like the the expanding onto the CT4 and CT5 beyond the V models, um, because they're they just don't have chips, um, and you know they'll they'll start putting it back on later when they when they have the right parts. Um, so it's it's kind of a mix. You know, it depends on the feature and and which automaker it is. Um, and then uh, for for your enjoyment, Robbie, uh, since uh, you mentioned greyhound, greyhounds at the end of the show before the Toyota guest, um, you can fit two greyhounds side by side in a quad cab uh, Ram fifteen hundred. So <laughs> there's that. Boom! There um, you go. We I have I have and, a German and, I have a big German Shepherd and then a little German Shepherd, and uh, that is our number. <laughs> when we bought our Kona, we had to make sure like, well, how are they going to fit in here? I'm like, well, if I leave the seat up, they have more headroom. And it's no different mm-hmm. than we're, we're driving them around <laughs> in our in our uh, X Type or Jaguar 2004 Jaguar X Type. So they have essentially the same amount of headroom. Uh, but I will say that we went on a trip uh, earlier this week, and whenever we go on a long drive, more than like a couple hours, we rent a minivan, which is typically a, a, a Chrysler Pacifica or Voyager or Dodge Grand Caravan. One of those is essentially what you get when you when you rent a minivan, and we just put them in the back of that for long drives, but. Uh, yeah, if you can get dog, yeah, getting two greyhounds in a fifteen hundred, boom, boom, you're happy. Your dogs are happy. The dog, right. you're happy, and you got a lot of torque, I guess. <laughs> All right, and I, I just I just checked uh, Twitter, and there's also a couple of questions there. Um, first one from pra- Patrick Frawley: uh, wishes and expectations for the new Integra. Oh man, um, I, well, I know one. It's gonna, I, I, I want it's I want the, gonna t- be I want the Civic Type R powertrain in it. Oh yeah, oh, that, that, that transmission, that that transmission yeah. and that everything, yeah, that whole that that is what, and the suspension, everything they did with the Type R is magic. They I, wizards, yeah. I don't know what like what sort of black magic they used over at the Honda uh, engineers, but yeah, if they can take that and put it into the Integra, that's it, and make it all super handling, all wheel drive, boom, I'm happy. Perfect. Put it in my pocket. Okay. And then last one from Car Snob, um, spelled with two A's instead of an O. Um, how would you electrify the future Miata and maintain its identity? So, as a, as a Miata owner, um, this this is going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, on on the next episode, uh, Nicole and I will be discussing the Mazda MX-30, uh, which we 
both drive drove this week. Um, and um, <clears throat> we can't share our thoughts on that just yet. But I, I have... I have good feelings about what Mazda might be able to do with an electric Miata. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if they can manage to keep the weight down, then I think it could actually be really, really, really good. And I will leave it at that. I didn't drive the MX-30, so I can say whatever the hell I want. Um, <laughs> I think if Miata can get a, a battery chemistry that uh, gives you – 200 miles out of a, say, 50 kilowatt hour pack um, or smaller, um, that's going to reduce the weight um, and that's going to allow you to keep the the sort of the, the nimbleness of a Miata uh, with an EV powertrain. And I, it maybe a few, I mean, I think that's going to be a few years from now just because I feel like Mazda's a little bit behind and they're teaming up with, who are they teaming with, Toyota? For their batteries, yeah, yeah. So that yeah, yeah they're, they're partnering with Toyota on a lot so, of their electrification stuff. Although yeah. the MX thirty <laughs> stuff, they they did themselves. Um, they did that internally, um, and I think that they're going to be using a lot of Toyota's stuff going forward on the next generation uh, EVs. But yeah, I think you know if they can do you know if they can squeeze a fifty kilowatt hour battery like you know down the center tunnel, you know maybe. Do something like a, a, a T-shaped pack like they had in the Volt. Um, oh, yeah. But in reverse. So you have the, the top of the T at the front where the engine yeah. is today. Um, and the then down the center tunnel. So instead of instead of being completely under the floor, you know, that way you, you keep that low seating position on either side of the tunnel. I think you could you could probably get 50 kilowatt hours into that space and and be, you know, and you know, re- really, you know. Most, it's not often that you're going to take really long road trips in something like a Miata anyway. So if you got 200 miles of range, you know, even 175 miles of range uh, in a Miata, um, you know, and then the, the electric motor at the rear axle, I think that could actually work really well. And I'm, I would, I actually have kind of high hopes for it. If they can, if they can give me another inch of room to sit in it, or the headroom, <laughs> a little bit more headroom. I would, I would definitely yeah. a two hundred, a two hundred mile Miata, uh, electric Miata. I would just throw money at them. I, all I want is an, an is an, an EV convertible, and I would love it to be a Miata, and I would love it to because Mazda, how they're going to do EVs, I think I haven't again, I haven't driven the MX thirty. Is they're going to continue to have that sort of driver first mentality when it comes to to tuning and suspension and cornering and all the things that you expect from a Mazda. All the wonderful things you expect from Mazda. I feel like they're uh, they're they're late to EVs, but the EV is, the EV world isn't a re- isn't a sprint. It's a marathon, so they can be a few years late. Yeah, Toyota can be a few years late. Honda can be a few years late. Mazda can be a few. Essentially, Japan can be a few years late and still be fine because it's not like they're losing money <laughs> by doing it. Yeah, um, I, mean, I I just I just looked at the numbers today. You know, so far this year, EVs represent two and a half percent of vehicle sales in the U S so there's still is, a long way to go and there's, there's yeah. still room for everybody, which is growth. So which we, means more and more people are buying yeah. EVs, but it's, you know, it's two and a half percent. People are still yeah. buying a lot of CRVs and, 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 uh, CX fives and whatnot. So it's, you know, I, I, I have thoughts about the MX 30 and it's like sort of, 
uh, disappointing range uh, in my in my view. But um, you know, you got to start somewhere, and they're starting again. They're starting a little late, so they're starting there with that. And will it'll I, I I'm very excited about what uh, everyone who drove that car when it comes to everything else about it, uh, how they feel, and hopefully it's 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 a it's a you know it's a Mazda. And hopefully they're able to continue that when they when they um, go full bore into EVs. And yes, an MX-5 EV would be outstanding. Fingers crossed. And with that, we'll call it a show. And we'll see you next time. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.